Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. And I'm Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. Mm, with a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, we are talking to Camilla Marcus, a restaurateur who brought subsidized childcare to her restaurant, Westbourne. Yeah. Uh, tell me about tell me about subsidized healthcare a little bit or child childcare. Well, uh, childcare is wildly expensive, and it is something that restaurants and the restaurant industry do not help with at all. Yeah, and it's a huge struggle for parents in an industry that employs about like ten percent of the population. Yeah, you know, I am. Uh, I childcare is not something that is first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning, but this is a really, really interesting business story. It seems like a way that restaurants can get a huge competitive advantage Mm -hmm. over others in terms of hiring, in terms of maintaining their talent. So, uh, yeah. It's also a story of gender equity and racial equity. I'm hugely invested now. Mm -hmm. Especially after this conversation, I it, it very much affected the way that I look at this story. Of course, also Amanda's great writing over time has also influenced me. Uh-huh. But you know, just being in the room for it, man. Yeah, she's great. She's super inspiring. Also, it's not intense. Like I just said it like that. It's not intense. It's no, fun. no, it's, it's a fun. fun. It's a fun combo. Uh, so we're gonna get to Camilla, and after that, we are gonna talk about some of the biggest stories of the week. Yeah, we've got some dogs on beer cans. And more. If you like this episode, if any of you like the show in general, please make sure to subscribe to it, rate it, and pass it on to someone else that you think might enjoy it. Here is Camilla Marcus. Camilla Marcus, owner of Westbourne, I wanted to bring you in because you are doing something super novel in your restaurant, which is offering free and flexible childcare to people in the restaurant industry, to your staff. I think this is wild because I've covered this. I've written about this a lot before. I have kids. It's hard enough for me to pay for my childcare, and I work a nine-to-five job. Uh, I can have a nanny. I can do daycare. If you work in restaurants, you work late hours, potentially. You are working not always with a predictable schedule. Um, mm. So I want to talk to you first off. Why was this an important thing to to launch? You know, you look at our industry and how much it's changed even in the last decade. So a decade ago, it was all about health care. You know, mm-hmm. it was not the norm. You know, millennials and Gen Z folks out there forget that was not the norm. Right. So there was this huge movement of, hey, this is a massive industry. We're amongst the largest employers in the entire nation. You have to also offer child care or sorry, health care the way that other industries do. So that was sort of the first wave. The second wave then which I think we're still in, is parental leave. Mm-hmm. You know, And paid sick leave. Exactly. And time off for family needs, mm-hmm. which, again, sadly, is relatively novel in yeah. our industry. And even then, there's a lot of 
issues between sort of corporate team and boots on the ground operations teams. Yeah. Like, you know, do you give the same for your marketing manager as a line cook? And, you know, the needs of the job and the needs of the organization are super different. Yeah, even when we see restaurant groups offering parental leave, it's always in the corporate office. It's always like Starbucks, but this person, or I guess Starbucks is getting better now, but a lot of those restaurant groups. Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's talking to me get about Starbucks and Amazon, I've got a lot to say. <laughs> I started thinking about that a lot when I worked at Union Square Hospitality Group and then starting my own company and my own business. What we ended up realizing, ironically, is more important than both of those was childcare. Mm -hmm. And what I think people still don't fully understand is not only is it difficult, but it's really the gating issue. Mm -hmm. So you can't get parental leave unless you've been on a job for six months, which means you have to show up. So if it's not your first child, you have to figure out how to show up and care for your other children mm -hmm. before you even begin to be able to opt into something like parental leave. Same with health insurance. If you're not an active employee and you're not past your probationary period, you can't partake in health mm -hmm. insurance. So interestingly, it's actually more important than the two waves prior because it's really the gating issue. You have to be able to get to work on time on a consistent basis to be an active employee that can then partake in everything else. Right. So it's interesting. To find it's out the least... that you don't have the other benefits, you right. at least have to be there for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And I don't think people realize that that's not that easy mm -hmm. when you have a family and that without employers really partnering in solving that issue, it's almost impossible in this industry, let alone what Amanda alluded to, which is you know, nighttime service and weekends tend to be higher paid than daytime mm -hmm. and more opportunities, more opportunities for growth. You know, early managers, those are the shifts they take. I mean, that's sort of where you then kick into the career growth that's possible in our industry. But again, you have to be available during those times. Mm -hmm. And it is unfairly punitive towards people who can't avail themselves of those hours if they have to be responsible for their children without help. And even early in the first couple months, we were losing amazingly talented employees that we were putting on growth trajectories and really had a lot of potential, but they could not find predictable and stable childcare. And, you know, I just kept scratching my head thinking, this just can't be. You know, you Can just you can't have about the informal networks that they were using. Like why why were things falling through? Why was this an issue for them? Yeah. I mean it was, you know, my brother had been had agreed to help me out for a couple months, but now he got a different job and, you know, he can't cover nights. Mm -hmm. Or my we had one team member whose mother was her help who had a heart attack and mm -hmm. was in the hospital and could no longer help. And it's you know, right. it's like a snap of a finger where your whole world now doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of options or alternatives. So then I started talking to friends in the industry. I started meeting with, you know, heads of large chains, heads of fine dining restaurant groups, individual operators, and everyone had the same issue. And I was sort of shocked. I thought, I don't know, maybe it's us. Maybe it's just who we're attracting and right. and or maybe it's the style of restaurant, but it ended up being pretty ubiquitous, which really frankly blew me away because no one ever talked about it before. Mm -hmm. And I was really blown away with how many people struggled with it every single day. And then I said, okay, so what are you doing about it? One company was using paid babysitters, which is riddled with liability mm -hmm. and problems. Mm -hmm. And again, also is sort of a band-aid in my opinion, not really a structural change. And others just said, look, this business is so hard. These operations are so difficult. 
I just don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. And I right. just, like, you know, not because I don't want to solve it. I'm just overwhelmed. Well, I think there's an understanding that turnover in the restaurant industry is incredibly high, but maybe not an interrogation as to what the core root of that is. You know, there's this idea of like, oh, well, people are, aren't paid very much and they're in these unstable lifestyles and therefore, right. who knows? Oh, but they're listen, not you thinking, get someone for nine months, that's that's not bad in this. Right. And they don't think like, actually, this could be an industry if you support the people where people are loyal and stick with you mm. and can have, you know, regular jobs. And that there are a lot of, a lot more complicated issues involved in that, mm-hmm. you know? someone who wants to get to work but can't find care for their child, they have an impossible choice that is not fair. And you would never choose your job. It doesn't matter what they paid you. To your point of Mm -hmm. it's not just about the pay or the role or what industry it is. You're not leaving your child unattended at home. That just will never happen. Right. So did you look at starting something yourself? So I did think a lot about it. Um, I don't know if anyone's read the very big real challenge is that it's equally as regulated and compliance focused as restaurants. It would be it would require an entirely second company. So um, and really it was like a serendipitous strike of lightning. Truly, um, I was talking about this with Dana Cowan at Manhattan right around the corner from here. <laughs> funny enough, um, we were actually celebrating her birthday and I was boring her with my complaining about this and that you know I just couldn't and get the nut to crack. The, sorry, she is the former editor in chief of Food and Wine and now is a um, industry figure and consultant and works at Dig and has a podcast. So just I just for people who don't we, know who we, she do, is. we do context now. It's <laughs> our new thing. Context. Year like 2020. It. Yeah. So I said to her, you know, I just don't know what to do. I can't get the nut to crack and you know, I am going to probably have to do it on my <laughs> own, really on my own. If I can, she said, "Well, why don't you meet with some of my contacts at the city? You never know. They might know some things that are brewing that you don't. They have to know some things because you have to register and the sure. way you build a childcare facility, you know, requires a lot of government agencies to be partnered with you." So I thought, "All right, fine." So they were the ones that actually told me about Vivi and put us in touch. And when I first reached out to Charlie, one of the co-founders, he said, great, let's set up a meeting. He came to Westmore and he walked through the door. He said, I have a surprise for you. I said, what? And he goes, you didn't, you had no clue because we just met as strangers over email through this random mm-hmm. government official. Um, but my business partner went to college with you and is an old pal of yours. And oh. so in walked Ben Newton, who has dedicated his life to childhood development, who I knew very well from my pen days. And mm. I thought, well, this is this is total kismet. I mean, mm. I'm very L.A. in that way. And I really believe <laughs> in those things, much to my team's sometimes embarrassment. But it just was like all the cards mm-hmm. really aligned. And I thought, all right, there's really something here. And maybe I don't have to build an entirely different business. This is going to drive you guys own. both nuts. I just, I need to, like, <laughs> did he walk into the restaurant and be like, I have a surprise for you? And then the other guy was like waiting outside and he opened the door <laughs> and it was like on The Bachelor where it's like in walks someone else? Or did sort they just of. walk in together and be like, well, no, surprise, so by the way, meeting. this is my business partner. No, so they were meeting at the restaurant. They didn't come together. Okay. And Charlie happened to be first. But helpful, Charlie was helpful. waiting for, okay. he yeah, had not mentioned it. anything until yeah. Charlie walked through the door. God, which the I, restraint on those guys to keep it from you. I can't I even gotta imagine. tell you. Yeah, he didn't say anything on the emails. Oof. It was, you know, you don't get those kinds of surprises often. It if you were like, I'm spicy. not interested, he's like, Ben is my business partner! <laughs> ben, run! Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I think, again, it was just a really instant meeting of the minds mm-hmm. of really shock, honestly, on their part, too. I mean, if you're in that business, you look at what's out there, you look at the way people have done it before, and 
I think they too didn't see what was right in front of them, which is there's a massive community that's being totally ignored. And Were they already looking to do flexible late night hours or no. is this influenced by you? 100% forged by me. What was Vivi going to be at that point? So they were following more of a traditional childcare model as far as hours and offerings and who they're targeting. The way they were trying to innovate is twofold. One is being employer sponsored. So most childcare facilities, you know, and larger companies focus more on the parent. So mm-hmm. it's very one for one, which is burdensome, by the way. It's yep. a lot. They were really taking the approach of more the way health insurance runs. So what if we could partner with Google? big companies and small companies and take away that friction so that you know people who are working have an easier time opting in and again you get different levels of scale customer acquisition and offerings and then the flip side of that is they also wanted to make it very development focused so as i said ben's really committed his whole career he did teach for america in new orleans and he really wanted to take the approach of Let's, it's not just about keeping your kids safe. Like, yes, that is mm-hmm. the base level. And right now, again, most childcare facilities, that's what's offered. And he sort of said, well, if you have them and they're captive, it's not that much more work to say, let's actually get competent people who have a teaching background. If your child's going to spend all this time, frankly, more in childcare than even with their parents during waking hours, pre or while they're in school, why can't this also be something that's enriching them, not just at the bare minimum mm. keeping them safe? If you convince them to stay open until 2 in the morning, but then you're the only restaurant client, how does that work out for them? Do they need we to We won't work- be the only restaurant okay, client. Okay, they, they, they're working on recruiting more. That was always the plan. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been very public about saying, too, I actually tried to create a consortium first. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just – I mean, the number one question I got funny enough was, is this just for you? I'm like right. – one, I don't want it to be just well, us. Well, yeah, you don't want but it to be. But two, it won't work if it is just mm-hmm. us. Um, but three, I know through all my conversations that we're not the only one with this issue. Um, so I actually tried to put together a consortium, and it sort of fell apart because, again, leaders are busy. These businesses mm-hmm. are really hard to operate, and I think it was just – it felt very daunting and too much time for the others that we were trying to bring in as sort of the launch hmm. beta group, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um But I just decided, you know, it's the right thing. This system has to change. And I don't care if we're the first ones to say we're going to sign on. I know we will not be the only. And Mm -hmm. I have every confidence in that. Can you talk about the brass tacks of the costs? Because I think that's the part that people have misconceptions about. They'll assume it's wildly expensive. Can you talk about the credit system and how it all works out? Well, there's all different ways to arrange it with Vivi, mm-hmm. just to be fair. We've chosen to do a credit system because I, it's one of the levels and types that they offer, but I feel that it offers max flexibility for the way our mm-hmm. team and our schedule works. So our system is 100 credits. That's 100 stays, if you will, um, that our team can opt into at any time. They're prepaid. And then there's a massive tax credit that's about 75% of the cost back hmm. that Vivi helps you process with mm-hmm. the government. Um, what it ends up being, in my opinion, is like anything on your PL, you right. have to decide what you invest in. I can tell you right now, and I've said this a million times over, I know firsthand many restaurants that spend far more than that on flowers. Sure. Well, also, (laughs) and I'm not saying flowers are not precious and... Well, and you know firsthand the cost of turnover. It's people forget that hiring and recruiting and training training costs so much money. 
uh, in time, in work lost. And if you're paying, I think it ended up being for some clients, what, $50 per credit once you get the tax break, like that's, it all works out. A hundred percent. And like I said, I think it's really, it really comes down to, again, someone taking the time to sit down, look at their P&L as if it was a clean slate today and say, where do I want to put my dollars and what matters? And what are the real costs? I mean, I do think the cost of turnover and the cost of attrition is a cost that people don't count on their P&L. Mm-hmm. Right. It still happens, right. but you sort of chalk it up to what you said. There's churn. Mm-hmm. That's the business. And it's easy to sort of put your hands up and say, yeah, but I can't do anything about that. Well, you can. And like I said, I mean, I know people that spend more than that on plates. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You have to sort of pick your poison. Right. And I think that the number one thing you should be thinking about is investing in your people because having high tenure, having high loyalty, and taking care of your people just creates a better culture, way less cost of maintaining. But more importantly, this business revolves around people. Mm -hmm. Your people are the people that make the food. They take care of your guests. It is a people business. If that's not the number one focus of your operation and on your P&L, then you should be in a different industry. Yeah. So the moral of the story is the flowers at Westbourne are all fake? (laughs) (laughs) No, they're from Fox Fodder Farm. Shout out to Taylor. She's the bomb. (laughs) So how does it actually uh, work? Like, let's say... She's going to kill me for talking about flowers. (laughs) (laughs) We Uh, love flowers. Let's say I have a kid and uh, I'm an employee. Like, how do I come to you and say, like, I want so-and-so amount of credits, or, or can I just, like, show up that day and be like, oh, I want to draw my kid off, or how does it Any all work? and both. So we, again, because it's all employer-sponsored, the goal is that things funnel through the companies, again, to make it easier, um, but they could very well just go to Vivi, but we would have to know about it, and mm-hmm. obviously, they keep track of our credits, as do we. Um, to date, we aren't putting any limit on it. I want it to be as friction-free as possible so that we can also see and get feedback. Like mm-hmm. part of this, you know, I think it's interesting whenever something new is created like this, I think people jump really quickly to what are the stories? What are people using it for? How mm-hmm. many? What's happening? I'm like, it just started. Like right. this is only weeks old. So I think for us having as many data points and as many people participate so that we can also then get feedback, sure. part of that will then hopefully morph and improve to say what's working for you was texting or messaging the head of people and culture to set it up for the next day too tough? Mm-hmm. Was it mm. easy enough? So to date, it runs through the employer to say, hey, you know, I want to pick up that shift tomorrow. I want to use one of the credits. Mm-hmm. Great. It's as simple as that. There's not, there's advanced. Or you could every single day know that you're going to be using one. I've heard that Equinox Columbus Circle offers three hours of childcare for people who are lifting so interestingly, <laughs> does that offset any of the Stephen Ross Trump donations for you? Are you just trying to justify your Equinox membership? <laughs> interestingly, I've seen a lot. Of, so a lot of the questions we got, a lot of the questions we got too, were around other companies that do different things. I mean, funny enough, one of the first questions, sort of similar to what you asked yes, me, was, no. "Oh, but why don't you just have on-site daycare?" I'm like, "Do you know how much rent is yeah. in New York?" I'm like, That's crazy. "Yeah, if the city wants to give me the next door space for free and make the landlord give it to mm-hmm. me, let me tell you, I'd rent it all day long." Well, and what then you people- still have to get like, <laughs> yes. permits. Well, a lot of companies offer some form. Unfortunately, it's a misnomer. They do say it's childcare when, in fact, it's actually babysitting, which means you have to be on premise, which, by the way, is any parent, mm-hmm. which 
I hope Amanda smiles at this. Mm -hmm. Any parent will tell you, if I have to be on premises, it's not really care. No, no. <laughs> like, I have oh, to be able to go okay. and do something. So a lot of companies have some form of that. How many people do you have on staff now? Um, we're always around 25 people. We run really long yeah. hours. <laughs> I think that's an interesting thing for people in the industry to keep in mind that, you know, not that many people are going to take you up on the right. offer. And what it shows, though, and like what it telegraphs to them is that you care about their lives. And I remember talking to the owner of Molly Moon Ice Cream Shops in Seattle, and they offer parental leave. And her point was like, you know, I offer 12 weeks parental leave. It's expensive, but it happens like not very often. And if I get to a point where I'm so big that I'm actually offering it all the time, like that means I've been successful because right. I've scaled to such a, you know, a point. But right now with, you know, two dozen employees, it's not like every single person is taking advantage of this benefit at the same time. Well, and I think you say something really important, which is I find it always fascinating. And you mentioned Starbucks and I said, don't get me started. Mm -hmm. You know, like Starbucks was on the cover of every single business magazine for pledging no straws in two years time, which I totally laugh at. We've had and I know bioplastics are a big hot issue, but, you know, we've had compostable straws and we don't put them out. Mm -hmm. We don't readily give them. And we're a small business. Right. There's no reason that Starbucks tomorrow could not get rid of straws. Mm -hmm. And by the way, they still have single-wrapped-use plastic right. cutlery at every station. So I think it's fascinating that smaller businesses tend to be pushing the envelope a lot more in these things, which is funny because people sort of take the aspect of, oh, you're small, you can. I actually think being small and doing it is far harder, mm -hmm. right? And yet the big, splashy headlines are always given to larger companies who mm -hmm. do very small incremental mm -hmm. changes <laughs> when really they should be the people that are doing this. They should be the people that are saying, you know what, we employ 30,000 people and, you know, X percent are parents and this matters. Let's do it. And they also have a larger voice. I mean, again, we I feel like we got lucky with this serendipitous encounter and that I went to college mm -hmm. with Ben. It just all kind of fell into place. It was very fortunate because I'm not Starbucks and I can't, you know, beat the drum and have the New York City government care. I wish. I try to be a loud, <laughs> annoying voice to get them to move and address things, <clears throat> composting across the city. But, you know, I am a smaller business. I'm glad we can. And like I said, I was prepared to do it ourselves, as crazy right. as that sounds, because it's the right thing to do, but I wish we would put more pressure on larger and larger organizations to be a bigger mover in these types of solutions. So you don't cheer when big companies talking about uh, talk about like committing to phasing out plastics. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, they could do it tomorrow. <laughs> and by the way, they could Just pressure a change in lobbying efforts too. So. Right. Yeah. There's a lot they could be doing that they're not. There's a lot. I just think there's it does often take smaller businesses mm -hmm. into what you were saying about yeah. the business in Seattle. I think that, you know, it just takes one to show that there's something new that's possible. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that creates a domino effect. And like I said, I've already seen it. The amount of outreach we've gotten from at least six states mm -hmm. is tremendous. And, you know, part of that is going to be a call to action for governments to what you said earlier to really be collaborative in this and be creative with tax credits if we're really going to do this nationwide and make this a new normal because it does have to be incentivized. There has to be an encouragement and support for businesses who want to do the right thing. And I think there's 
endless companies out there that do want to take care of their employees in this business. It's just, it's complicated. It doesn't have to be, but it's going to take the right mindset of cities and great partners like Vivi to make it possible. Not surprising, but kind of unfortunate that it takes women to own restaurants for this change to happen. Truth. Truth. Sorry. Camilla, thank you so much thank for what you for you're doing me. and for making the time for us. Uh, excited to hear more about how Vivi grows and any new projects from Westbourne. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Yay. We will be right back after these announcements. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Uh, Amanda, it is that time in the show where we crank through the biggest, most important, funniest, funnest, whatever, stories of the week. We separate them with an audio effect. With some FX, it's the sound of a bell. Uh, Goes like this. Let's just hop right in. So, Daniel, a couple weeks ago on the show, we were talking about coronavirus and how it is impacting the Hong Kong restaurant scene. We did not talk about how it's impacting American Chinatowns. Yeah. Because we didn't know. Right. But it is. Yeah. Business in many Chinatowns, according to reports from a variety of outlets across the country, down 50 to 70%. Yeah. San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, Houston, New York. 50 to 70 percent. What do you think? First of all, I think, like, where's this data coming from? Like, it's a lot of anecdotal. Yeah. They're talking to the owners. But anyway, all the owners that are being interviewed for these articles are saying huge drop in business because people are afraid to be around Chinatowns. I feel for them. I think there's the other reason is that no one is coming from China because all the flights are cut off. So there's a drop in international tourists. And then the locals are afraid to go out and eat in Chinatown. Yeah. Um, I read about this in my newsletter, and an example I used was my husband went out for a big birthday dinner um, with a group of friends, and one guy wouldn't go because they were going to Flushing. Yeah. And yeah. then we went out We went out to Sunset Park this past weekend and invited the same person, and we're like, hey, do you want to come to dinner? And he's like, as long as it's not Flushing. Oh. And we're like, cool. Yeah. We're going to Sunset Park. Um, and we tricked him. Okay. How did he, <laughs> how did he take it? <laughs> I don't think That's he was super hilarious. pleased. hilarious. Were you yeah. just being dickheads? Like, Yeah. He also doesn't like spicy food, and we took him to a Szechuan place. So it was kind of like mean to this guy in general, but he deserved it. Right. It's unfounded fear of something yeah. that they should not be afraid of. Right. And this is not where you're going to get the coronavirus if you're going to get it at all. Right. And statistically speaking, so few Americans have gotten it. Yeah. People are so much more likely to get the flu, on a which boat. kills anywhere, right. on the subway, at the right. airport, in your, like, Dwayne Reed. Yeah, and people no, we're aren't talking afraid. about a lightning strike situation right yeah, here. It's, yeah, it's, the chances are so low that you're going to go to Chinatown and get coronavirus. Right. It's like, actually, in New York, like, almost impossible. Sure, yeah. The oh, flu, though, so, I mean, it is impossible in so bad right this season, mm-hmm. killing tons of people, lots of kids. Right. But people aren't, there's no huge public outcry about like, oh, wash your hands more, which but people the should flu do. Is go not wash a, your flu hands. is not a new thing. You no, know, no, no. We're used to the flu. Yeah. So I find it incredibly annoying when people avoid or a Chinatown. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I hear it actually a fair amount um, at at and in, in the open mic circuit 
people will be oh, like, really? yeah, people will be of doing course. jokes and they'll be like, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going for Chinese food, you know? And it's just like, I see why they're saying it. Like, I see mm-hmm. that it's it's a disease coming from a specific place. Sure. The most public example of that specific place in our specific place is Chinese restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> it's also lazy humor. You it's know? lazy humor. Yeah, it's, it's very lazy, lazy humor. humor. It's not a funny joke. It's not a funny joke. Um, the versions I've done of it haven't worked. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm kidding. You wrote about it. You you kind of, you know, as as your uh, as your one to do being like, "Hey, go out and support your local Chinese restaurant because mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. need you right now." Yeah. And you did it. You've been eating at some Chinese yeah. restaurants. I was inspired by Adam Musa, our social media manager, cuz he did a Twitter thread um, promoting all of our eater Chinatown maps. And yeah. I was like, "You know what? I should do this too." Also, selfishly, yeah. it's a great time to go to popular places that you usually can't get into. Yeah, There's a Szechuan place we went to in Sunset Park, usually an hour wait. We walked right in. Good time to go in restaurants, but I, you know, I tried to, uh, I, you'll love this, I tried to do my part. This weekend, I was like, oh, you know, I'll go have some Chinese food. And I, uh, I went with a couple friends to a trendy spot in Williamsburg called Birds of a Feather. <laughs> and, <laughs> and why are you laughing off the bat? Because it's not... The point. Yeah. <laughs> but part of me was like hoping, ugh. part of me was hoping that I would walk in and it would be empty, not because it would be easy to get into, mm-hmm. but because then I would feel like I was doing something. Sure. Yep. I walk in slammed with the beanie crowd. Everyone's drinking yeah. natural You're wine. You're not in Chinese. Chinatown. You're in Williamsburg. And, right. Well, but you know what? It's a Chinese restaurant. You know, I, but I don't what it, think it's the, the good, same. <laughs> it's Chinese food. Sure. Okay. Okay. Know, okay. Yep. Out of it's, I was, good job. yeah, but I was shocked to find that it was, it was busy and I was disappointed because I hadn't helped move the needle at all, no. even though my intentions were pure. You know, that area of Williamsburg, there were three Brooklyn heat map restaurants ripe for the smashing yeah. in the immediate. And I chose to go to Birds yeah, of a okay. Feather to, to, you know, you because. You want a medal here? <laughs> I didn't even post it on Instagram, okay? The I whole was being point is to post culturally it. conscious. No, I, well, the I whole point is to any, raise awareness. I didn't get any really <laughs> <the> good shit. <laughs> <laughs> you messed this up on so many <laughs> levels. Okay, here's what you should do. Go to the neighborhood that's being impacted by this, like yeah. Flushing, Sunset Park, Manhattan's Chinatown. Be very public about it. Yeah. Post about it. Yeah. You know, like Mayor de Blasio had this big thing where he went to Flushing and the Post made fun of him because he couldn't use his chopsticks. But it's like, this is the whole point. Right. Raising awareness. Can you not picture me in Chinatown being like, I'm here and I'm not scared. <laughs> Just post a fucking picture. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I will go. I will go soon to um, an area that has been affected because I didn't, Williamsburg, for those looking (laughs) to do their part, Mm -hmm. avoid Williamsburg, okay? Yeah, Williamsburg is good. They're good. Maybe they're benefiting off of this. Yeah, because idiots like me are like, I'm going to do my part for Chinese food tonight. I wonder if Birds of a Feather has a spot on Resi. Right, because even, think about it, if, ha- if most of this is because Chinese tourists aren't coming into town, so you're also trying to help mom and pops because of that loss. Right. Birds of a feather in Williamsburg is not really suffering due to that. It's crazy. I got to say I walked in and I was 
I felt like such an idiot for thinking that there was even a chance. <laughs> you were just like, ooh, my favorite Chinese place won't have a line. No, I really wasn't. I really, because I didn't feel like Chinese food that night. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I Wow, you really sacri- took one for the team. <laughs> I made a sacrifice. Well, thank you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Amanda. Great. Daniel, you know the company Blue Apron? Oh, yeah. Meal delivery kits where yeah. you get your box, you cook your meal, you eat your meal, whatever. They are pivoting slightly to now add meal prep services. So basically, instead of cooking your Blue Apron three times a week, you cook it all in one batch on a Sunday portion it out and eat your food all week. Yeah. Sounds like not that different, but it actually is very different. Fundamentally different. Fundam- okay, good. Fundamentally different. For sure. And they're trying to lean into the popularity of meal prep. Yeah. So you follow a lot of fitness things online. Sure. Are you... I follow the most fitness things online of anyone in this room right yes. now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your take on meal prep and the prevalence of it? Have you followed this at all? I don't think I can update you with anything that is, you know, maybe new philosophies within the last few years. But mm-hmm. basically, in the fitness world, in the kind of biohacky Tim Ferriss life optimization world, the point is to minimize your decision making. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning of the week, this is what I should be eating. You make it for yourself every day. Yeah, it's it's easy. Um, on the surface, uh, my roommate. Sebastian does meal prep. Mm -hmm. On the surface, this doesn't make sense to me because the point for him more so of the weekly meal prep is to buy in bulk and uh, and save save some money Mm -hmm. and get it all over with. You mean with Blue Apron doing it? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. Seb is going to do a better job of saving money. Like he doesn't need the Blue Apron packaging as long as you know to put chicken breasts on a tray in the oven mm-hmm. and put some mushrooms or whatever. Like, But some people, the people who already lean on Blue Apron. Yeah, but meal prep is an easier form of cooking. Right. I, I don't know. Well, have, you so, still have to know what you're doing, right? Yeah. You still have to follow a recipe I'm if you don't know how to cook. I'm impressed that Blue Apron is still around because didn't we, weren't they yeah, very they much struggling? Yeah, they had a terrible IPO. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah. It's not funny. I'm just interested to learn about meal prep. I'm very behind on this. Okay. And I was just reading up on it recently because I always thought that this is something that people have always done, which is batch cooking on Sundays for your week. Yeah. But that's more like leftovers versus meal prep where mm. they portion everything out. Like I've been looking at all these Instagram oh, accounts. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Versus like, like my husband always makes like a bunch of meatballs for the week or roast some chicken. So we could always like be yeah. pulling from the and chicken to add to different like things. Yeah, 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 kind of. Like or just a, a bunch options. of, yeah. Gotcha. A bunch. This is also caught on on like mom Instagram um, where they're making, it's mm. not just a fitness efficiency thing. It's like, oh, look at how mm-hmm. pretty all my kids' meals are for the week mm. kind of thing. So there's, I think, a lot of different weird layers to it. There's the organizational obsession yes. that can go into it. because And like, I can make it the cutest. I, so this is, I, it, it's interesting to me that this is a new idea for you. Yeah, I just never, I mean... I guess I knew when you, people so, were doing this. I didn't know it was a phenomenon. But before you picked up on this, when I, if I were to tell you that I was doing meal prep on a Sunday, mm-hmm. you would think I was just doing like a big batch of pulled pork, a big I made batch a lasagna of lasagna, and I'm going to eat it all week. Gotcha. Yeah. And I don't know what day I'm going to have it. It's just going to be in the fridge, yeah. ready to like be whenever eaten. I need food, it's there for me. Yeah. I don't have to get takeout. 
because I prepped on yeah. Sunday. So I actually think a lot of this stems from the life efficiency subreddits or whatever. The yeah, whole I think the starting Joe Rogan fitness. and Tim Ferriss yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you, you really want it. You want you don't want any decisions. You know, a lot of these people yeah. are wearing the same thing every day. Yeah, 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 yeah. New segment alert. New, new segment. <laughs> First time we're doing this new segment. Could be the last time. Maybe we'll bring it back every week. Who knows? Where uh, we just run through some stupid stories that yeah. are, that are one offs. A major problem we've had on the show is yep. the is we there's there's some tension because I am drawn to stories that are that don't matter at all that are just about a specific thing happening like one a time. Dumb one off. Yeah. So now we're gonna group them all. Thing. Uh, we only got two this and week. But I want a story with meaning. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. speaks to a broader trend. Yeah, the, I, like I'm not against those stories, though. Right, right, right. sure. But <laughs> uh, okay, so my stupid story. Okay, my one-off story is there is a a brewery in Florida mm. that put dogs up for adoption on their beer cans. So on the beer cans, they have pictures of these dogs, hoping that they would get the dogs adopted. Turns out, one of the dogs mm-hmm. from the shelter was actually a lost dog, and the family saw the picture, and now they're reunited with the dog. So the family was living in Iowa with with this dog. Right. The dog was an escape artist, always running away. Ran away for the last time. Yeah, okay. Couldn't get the dog. It had a microchip, but for some reason that didn't work out. Uh, Three years later, (laughs) for some reason reason did not work out. (laughs) Didn't work out. So what a waste. All right. Um, So don't chip your dogs, basically. (laughs) <laughs> That's what. <I> mean. <laughs> That's what we're gonna wade into here is uh, advice on dog ownership. Let me see, like, why the chip didn't. Work. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the information was outdated. Okay, so it worked is they had moved. What does that mean exactly? The information oh, was outdated. Sorry, sorry. So okay. by the time gotcha. the dog made its yeah. way to a shelter in Florida, the chip information was outdated. They like called the house. They yeah. they had moved on. Uh, three years later, the chip, owner yeah. of the dog sees this viral campaign. And it's her dog on a beer can. Yeah. Reunited. Reunited. Isn't that so sweet? Kind of, but like. No? Yeah. I mean, it's like, man, all we want as a family is to get our dog back. And then the dog comes back having changed. You mean because it's a celebrity? I don't know if it's if it's not a celebrity. It's been through the circuit. <laughs> what do you mean? It's, it's been through this. I mean, just oh. saying, like, what if it's mood, you know, like, Percy's not the same or whatever. What if the three years sad, were just I, so much fun? For the dog, yeah, and then he's miserable and then he's just happy to go back to his old family, just trying to escape again. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, got a runner. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll tell you what the first thing they did was update that chip. Yeah, you know? update the chip. Can I just tell you that I would not want to be at a brewery, which is you know a relaxing time with friends, mm-hmm. and see a bunch of pictures of dogs that have oh, been come abandoned. On. Have a heart. I do, and that's why I like to compartmentalize. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What? You can't feel multiple things at the same time? Not happiness and longing for a dog to be returned <laughs> oh, to a home, find a home. So you're just saying you have moments that are purely for enjoyment, and then what, you have moments <laughs> where you like to think about the harsh realities of the world? Just saying if I'm like sitting that, on the subway or whatever. I'm, that's when I you're can, thinking about the that's, dog. <laughs> I can look at a bunch of, hey, would you like to adopt one of these dogs? Uh-huh. No, so the com- still. commuting is when you commuting is when like I think to address about all of the... life's great sorrows. Okay, do you want to go on to the other story? Yeah. Wait, Speaking what's your, of the what's your, subway, what's your dumb story? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds harsh, even though I know that my story, this segment I said my story is was called dumb. dumb story. Okay, 
What's your it's one? fine. No, What's I'm good with one it. Off? I'm good with it. What's it's your the funny one off? The one, the, it's just that someone was on, there was a tweet about someone being on the subway and, uh, and it was busy and they had one of two seats and to claim the other seat so no one would sit there, they pulled out a ketchup packet mm. and squir- <laughs> squirted it on the ground next to them. The ground? Yeah, the ground. That wouldn't deter many people. It didn't deter. Uh, oh, yeah. According to the tweet, somebody, yeah, yeah, no one's, somebody no one still cares. sat down. You got to put it on the seat for someone to not sit down. The impulse to me is the funniest part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, just if you're going to do that, just freaking lie down. There's put, so, put a bag on the seat or something. Yeah. You know what? In some ways, it's actually very sly. Be like, oh, ew. Like every time someone walks by, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ew. No, well, that's the thing that's good the about the ketchup is besides the people who see you do it. No one will blame you. No one will assume you're you know selfish. What you should do though, put a uh, tissue on the seat, like a used yeah. tissue. No one likes picking up other people's trash. Like sometimes if there's a piece of newspaper on a seat, no one will sit there. Mm-hmm. I, that wouldn't deter me. You'd just pick it up. I wouldn't pick it up. I would find some. I would wipe it off. I'd be gone with it. Yeah. <laughs> Expelliarmus or whatever. I forget the Harry Potter thing. Okay. All right, great. So great segment. Should we bring him back? Great segment. <laughs> Let us know what you think of the dumb story segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I really love dogs. I mean, more than you, clearly. That's the problem here is that I am yeah, just that's the pro- That's the problem. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Thank you. To Eater's Digest. Big thank you to Camilla Marcus for coming in and telling us about her childcare program. Thank you to Amanda Clute for being um, a fantastic co-host. Thank you to Daniel Janine for editing and recording and co-hosting. I want to leave everyone on this note. We got a very interesting email from a fan last week uh, in response to the dating episode. Uh, and if you have any idea what this means, please uh, write into digest.eater.com. Um, very lovely email from a listener that says, when the ark is full, we'll sail. Um, I agree. I don't know exactly what it's in reference to. I think she's saying single people get left behind to drown. Tragic. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back next week. <laughs> yep.